Welcome to another episode of Cloud and Culture. I'm Danielle Burrow from VMware. And I'm Derek Harris from VMware. If you're new, this podcast focuses on the process of application and IT modernization through the lens of Tanzu Labs, previously called Pivotal Labs. Over the years, Tanzu Labs experts have helped hundreds of companies and organizations, big and small, build better software and adopt modern development practices. The tradition carries on today as Tanzu Labs experts help clients get up to speed with cloud-native computing and the flexibility and resiliency it provides. Our guests for this episode are Adam Boll and Felicia Schwartz, who explain the idea of landing zones for application modernization, essentially how to decide whether an application should live on-prem or in which public cloud and on what type of platform. So stick around and hear how Adam and Felicia help enterprises approach this important decision. So Adam, Felicia, it's so great to have you here. Adam, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself first, and then Felicia, please introduce yourself as well. Sure. Thank you, Daniel. So uh, my name's Adam Boll. I'm a, I'm a multi-cloud architect within VMware. So I work with some of our largest customers. I'm based in the UK, but I cover all of the EMEA region. And uh, I, I generally work with customers who are looking to implement multiple cloud solutions into their, their overall enterprise architecture and looking to see how VMware technology can enable that from a you know, consistent infrastructure, consistent operations perspective within their overall IT strategy. And hi, everybody. I'm Felicia Schwartz. I am a director of application services, and I help clients take their existing and, and, and new applications and help them architect it and use the right tools to maximize the value of what the cloud can offer them so that they could solve business problems and be responsive and have the performance they want in their applications. Great. Well, it's so great to have you both. And Felicia, it's great to have you back. You. Um, so when we spoke with you last, Felicia, we were talking a lot about prioritizing application modernization and, and how to assess your portfolio and really make those tough decisions around prioritization. And this you know, is intended to be kind of a follow-on conversation, thinking about where you're actually going to put those applications. You know, there are, most enterprises have many different kind of landing zones, so to speak, of different kinds of infrastructure, different kinds of platforms where they could put those applications that they're wanting to move into cloud. And so we wanted to kind of maybe first start off by just defining, like, what do we mean when we talk about a landing zone for an app? Maybe, Adam, is that something you could help us define? Yeah, so I, I, I think this is almost sort of multifaceted in, in most of the customers that, that I deal with. Obviously, you know, the large public cloud providers have, have defined out what they see as a, as a secure landing zone you know, on, on their specific platform. And when I spoke to some of my customers about this, it's, it's generally seen as, you know, public cloud of old was, was almost like that, like, like this open playground. Right, you know, you've got all the swings and the slides, and you've got all the the climbing frames and everything, and it's just just let the kids in and let them let them go crazy. And then when the kids started to to, to fall over and bang their heads and so forth, they realised actually we need some some controls around this. Right, we need to you know put some 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 safety in in place. We need to put some 
some security in place. Maybe we need some monitoring in place and so forth. And that's where I think you know the 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 major you know landing zone terminology has come from. Let's, let's put some some guardrails around around these these offerings. But I think you know for for the majority of the customers that that I deal with, they're they're looking at that as kind of like the the baseline, and then they're trying to apply their security model on top of that in terms of what sits into their organizational security and you know i'm thinking you know sort of financial services who may look at sort of yeah what does this mean for their overall enterprise networking architecture what does it mean for their operational tooling and so forth do they need to care about the underlying hypervisor technology that's being used in these in these cloud providers? Is the application abstracted or away from that in terms of modern application technologies? What native services in those cloud offerings are they going to allow their, their internal customers to, to utilize? I've worked with one large financial uh, services customer here in, in Europe who, you know, up until about a year ago was only allowing within their landing zones, I think it was about five native cloud services to actually be consumed. They were looking to open that up to about 50 going going forward. So there's things like that that people are, are concerned about. And then there's another element, which I think sometimes gets overlooked, but shouldn't be overlooked at all. And that's where's where's the data? Because the the old cliche of of data has gravity, I think, is is no more. You know, it's it's completely apparent now when you start looking at multiple cloud offerings, or you're looking to to make a choice around what that landing zone is going to be, because. Yeah, there, there is a, you know, I, I often refer to it as a land grab of, of data, right? To get data to a specific cloud platform, knowing that that data gravity cliche, if you will, will draw in the applications to that particular platform. So that's kind of how I think about some of the some of the, the choices around around landing zones. It's almost a separate layers in a in a cake, if you will, around what your choices are going to be. Can we dive in around around data for a second, data gravity? Because that is and always has been, I think, a, a difficult problem to address, right? Like like you mentioned, I mean, there, there's a like data is in a place and it's hard to move, you know, especially if you have a lot of mountains of data or something, it's hard to make that shift necessarily. So how, how do you or how do clients approach that situation when like they want to go to the public cloud, but they have, you know, whatever, like you know, all the data is on-prem, for example, right? I mean, how do you even begin to make that migration? Or is it like using that hard drive, like the, <laughs> they ship the hard drive to the cloud yeah. provider? And, yeah, so. well, I guess I guess that, that's sort of like, that's the you know, one way of, of moving the data is is one part of the conversation. But then I think there's, a, there's another piece around that there's a lot of attraction from public cloud providers to, you know, hey, bring your, bring your systems of record, you know, bring your critical business applications, bring the the databases and the data warehouses that are core to running your business, bring them to, to our cloud provider uh, or our cloud platform, sorry, because, you know, we, we can run it here and, and we'll make it, you know, cost effective to, to, to bring it here and we'll take away all that, you know, operational concern and, and maintenance of underlying infrastructure that you have. And, you know, just, just, just bring those workloads here. Oh, and, and by the way, you know, when you're looking at your, you know, modern applications or you're looking at implementing IoT solutions, we'll, we'll suck all that, that data into, into our public cloud solution as well. And, you know, oh, and by the way, you're using some, some productivity tooling that, that's in our cloud. And by, by now, you've got kind of like a convergence of 
of data, of users, they're all in one place. It makes sense to bring the applications to that to, to that location as well. And and yeah, I don't yeah, we can you know, you, there's obviously solutions for, for caching certain data workloads and so forth, but ultimately you're you're dealing with a, a law of physics issue at, at at the end of the day. You know, does it make sense to run a certain application workload, you know, you know potentially hundreds of miles away from from another cloud provider that's hosting the data and so forth. So I think that the you know customers need to think just as much, if not more, around what is the strategy for their data going forward, because that's ultimately going to pull in their application migration strategy as, as well, along with it for the ride. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. And I was taking a very oversimplistic view of gravity. I was like, the gravity that makes it hard to move, not the one that attra- the attractive force, right? So, <laughs> but yeah, that, that makes perfect sense as well. And, and in addition to what Adam was saying, was we also find that maybe the way the applications are using data today is not the way it should be moving forward. We find a lot of concern or, or caution about doing a big lift and shift of data because it's it, it then you have to deal with the applications so there's also times for specific applications like maybe we need to think of the data for the application what it's going to be using and maybe put the data closer to the application that moves to the cloud keep the big data lake or the data warehouse where it is and then you have like continuous there's replication of data but more building into a model of domain-driven design where you don't necessarily have to keep the data the way it is today. There's a new way of thinking about architecting your applications to help expedite your, your mission to move to the cloud for your applications without having to worry that like I've got thousands of applications that use this data. What's the impact if I move everything over to the cloud from the data side? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We're actually going to be talking to one of our data transformation experts in, a, in an upcoming episode. So that'll be a really nice <laughs> conversation to this because data is such a major consideration. So great. Th- thanks for going over the, the security and the data piece, because those are really significant considerations. And I'm wondering, you know, what are what are some of the other other considerations that makes choosing a landing zone for your apps so difficult? I mean, it sounds like there are so many variables. What are some of the ones that people get really stuck on? So I think when when they look when customers that, that I work with are looking to, to, to move workloads to, to the cloud, there's usually, uh, you know, it's usually not a technical blocker per se yeah there, there can be elements of, of commercial agreements in in as well so you know i've worked with customers that will say you know that we've got certain commercial agreements with with certain public cloud providers or because of the industry sector that, that we're in we get certain discounts and 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 Basically, it becomes favorable to, to use a certain solution purely from a, from a commercial re- reason. And, th- and then it just becomes a case of, well, is, is this good enough? You know, is, is, you know, you, okay, you've got some, some, some fancier things over here, perhaps, or, or you've got some, some technology that we'd like to, to consume, but you know, this other one is, is, is going to be commercially more, more vi- viable. I think from a you know, also from a traditional application perspective as well, with a lot of these workloads being you know driven by you know, licensing constraints and so forth, and then I think we've, we've seen this already within the, in the public cloud providers is yeah you know, it, it will be 
preferential from a licensing perspective to take certain traditional workloads to a particular location because you know it, it's just easier to deal with from a, from a licensing perspective. So I think some of those are some of the other con- real concerns that that I see customers looking at as it pertains to their traditional workloads at the, at the moment. Adam, can I ask when again, like when you're trying to choose, is it? I mean, what, do you have a sense of like just, you know, percentage of customers or clients who, who you're working with? Who, like, is it automatically a move to the public cloud? Or I mean, like, like are, are there still a lot of companies, you know, still deciding that, okay, the landing zone for this still is a private data center. And, and then it's just a matter of like, what is it? But how do we, how do we modernize that, that data center to make it more, you know, more apt host for, for our applications? Yeah, I think I think there's that I think there's more of a realization now that you know it, it's not just you know public cloud is the answer. What is what is the question? Which I think has has certainly been been the case for a while. I think there's becoming a more pragmatic view to to the overall IT infrastructure estate. Right, people are realizing that you know actually it can be cost effective to to run workloads on prem. You know, there there may be compliance reasons. There 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 may be data locality reasons that just make it preferable to run workloads on-prem. You know, moving everything that you have at the moment that, that runs in a you know, quote-unquote monolithic state and, and moving that and, and refactoring or even just replatforming what you have to, to a, a different infrastructure uh, provider or a different hypervisor provider is is fraught with with all kinds of, of risk and delays and 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 it generally for, for the majority of customers that, that I work with they can potentially get down into you know single digit application migrations a year you know that that can happen especially in, in large organizations who are looking to, to exit out of data centers hosting you know tens of thousands of workloads potentially and then you know customers but you know they will you know be in situations where right Need to close down a data center. You know, we need to get these workloads out of this location, or we need to exit out of a hosting provider for any number of, of reasons, and we need to do that quickly. What's what's the, the the best way to do that? And I think VMware is in sort of a, a perfect position to be able to to offer customers a consistent infrastructure experience for those modern uh, sorry for those those traditional applications to be able to to move quickly but then also provide options in terms of right what do you want to do once you've you know got your your workloads settled into a location that you're happy to support going forward do you you know take that application and say modernize certain parts of it that that make sense to to modernize and perhaps leave other parts of it that where you know there may not be any business value or justification or you know you just can't build the business case around modernizing that that part of the application because you know the the net result out the back of it is it does exactly the same as what it did before but you know just with you know 6 to 12 months worth of effort and you know you know potentially you know a, a lot of money thrown out at the, the problem but you know, you've now got options in terms of what do you want to do you know do you want to modernize certain parts of that application or do you want to integrate that parts of that application with the, the 
the, the native cloud offerings. And I always you know, refer to that as solutions that are only available from, from the public cloud in, a, in an as-a-service model. So I think there's, there's a number of different decision points around what customers do with those applications when they're when they're looking to consume public cloud or you know, run them in their, their on-premise infrastructure. Felicia, do you see any patterns around that with those decisions about public cloud and and kind of based, you know, the, the business criteria and the business value piece yeah. of the decision? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is why we work together with like the infrastructure, what we're calling the landing zones with the business value of the applications. And exactly what Adam said, the more critical an application is to the business, the more frequently in needs to be responsive to business changes, that's going to be heavy in the decision of what to do with the app when you migrate it. We found a lot of these legacy um, applications that have many, many pieces of functionality incorporated in it. Not all of them are going to be changed and need to be as resilient and, and need some of the capabilities. So with the move to it, we also say we need to decompose it a bit or we need to improve the performance on this so that it can, you know, just being in the cloud, you know, we've said before to a lot of our customers, moving it to the cloud, if it's not properly architected and it takes 10 minutes to start up, that's not going to get better. You may have infrastructure savings and speed from an infrastructure perspective, but you also need to make sure you could solve your business. So I think, you know, from Adam's lens and the application lens, we always have to look at business value of our applications when making the decision for what to do with an application and where the application needs to reside. And I, I want to go back to something too, Adam, that you mentioned uh, a couple questions ago, just talking about the commercial reasons for maybe moving to a different platform versus necessarily the technical ones. And I think, I mean, yeah, especially as you know, you've heard that discussion pop up before, like, well, we know this company really well, so this probably, and we have a contract in place. It might make sense. Like how, how do, how do, how do you overcome like, like, I'm like curious, like, what does good enough mean? And right now there are ways that you can overcome some of those technical limitations with clever architecture or third-party tooling or, or whatever the case might be. Yeah, I, I tend to think once we're into that that sort of level of conversation, you know, we're, we're not into a, a technical decision. We're into a, you know, th there is a specific commercial business reason why customers are, are looking to, to, to choose that, that particular cloud provider right because you know and and in my experience it's quite tricky to overcome that with with technology you know if if there is you know a, a bottom line decision to to move to one particular cloud provider because there are you know credits that, that that have been already purchased and yet to be consumed or there's a you know an ongoing ongoing benefit from a, a discount or from a licensing perspective in my in my in my my experience, that's a that's a tricky one to to overcome from a from a technology only standpoint. Would be be my answer there. <laughs> yeah, and I was just thinking too. I wonder how much does maturity model factor into some of these decisions? Like, you know, how skilled a development team is, whether it makes sense for them to have something on a PaaS or something on, you know, something that's a little bit trickier where they're being asked to, to, you know, maybe move to the left, so to speak, and take on some of the, the more kind of traditional infrastructure responsibilities. Does that ever come into the conversation when, you know, choosing landing zones? 
Yeah, I think from from my experience with with customers, there's 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 always organic growth somewhere in in, in the infrastructure. You know, a customer will be yeah, there, there'll be on-premise infrastructure nine times out of ten, given given who who we're speaking to, there will be you know some something happening in in cloud A, but then there's always that conversation, and this is where sort of my my multi-cloud role comes in. There will be something that happened over here because of some you know so some development team that that went off and, and created something and of course we used to refer to that as, as shadow it um shadow it doesn't seem to be you know a, a term that, that i hear too much anymore it just seems to be well that's that's happened and there's some stuff over there and that's now running in in, in production essentially so i think there's a there's an element where just that that ease of consumption needs to be there because from a, from from in my experience working with you know the developers and so forth you know the the path of least resistance from an infrastructure perspective always takes precedence right you know if you can just hit the easy button and get what you want and that's why public clouds you know that's why so so much money is spent with public clouds because that you can just next next finish and boom i've got a pad solution boom i've got you know my 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 web hosting platform i've got everything that i need and i managed to do it without having to exit my my tool chain that, that i have so i think that that path of least resistance you know fits into into play i think from a from a an infrastructure provisioning and operation or perspective you know, we need to you know be able to, to to offer solutions to to customers that just mean the path of least resistance is is utilizing the the technology tool chain that, that ultimately gives them everything they need from a from a business and and it strategic direction perspective all right yeah and to your earlier point about security too i'm guessing we want the path of least resistance to be like secure and and all that too, right? I think because I yeah. mean the shadow IT thing to me sounds when I think shadow IT, I think path of least resistance, but not necessarily path that has been vetted or approved or or otherwise yeah. signed off on. Yeah, and I think that comes back to that sort of point. I, the the analogy I made earlier of the you know here's the the playground and here's here's all the toys and you know but now actually no, we need some security, we need some governance, we need some operational oversight here because things can get can get scary very very quickly. Do you have a sense of the? Do you guys see like Felicia and and Adam? Do you, do you see customers running? I mean, by default, maybe. I mean, you talk about multi-cloud, and obviously, I think the idea of like, I mean, applications spanning multiple clouds or bursting or things are kind of weird. You know, maybe maybe not super realistic in most cases, but like, I mean, do, do a lot of companies have like you know the private data center, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, like locations everywhere, just because certain teams work on certain platforms or prefer to work. Or need to work on certain platforms? Is that a common way of doing multi-cloud? So I guess from 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 my perspective, I tend to see you know, applications as as a whole, as a, as a whole unit staying together, and, and I tend to see them staying in specific geographical locations for 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 compliance reasons. I mean, I'm, that may just be you know, an EMEA perspective on things because you know, obviously things need to need to stay in, in, in specific geographical locations from, from a country perspective. But that's generally what what I'm seeing at the moment. So people are really looking at how can I how can I move these workloads to a specific cloud landing zone, but I don't want to overly create complexity just for the sake of creating complexity you know i could potentially run all these these 
component parts in, in different locations. But do I really want to do that from, from a single application perspective? Chances are I just want to take that workload to a, you know, a specific location. I want it to run in that particular region or that, you know, certain, you know, data center infrastructure, call that you know, fault domain or availability zone or, or whatever you will. But that's, that's really what I'm tending to see at the moment. From the application, what I found, and I, and I think Adam spends more time with, in those conversations, but what we found is people will go to the public clouds for the ease. And I think it's dead on like simplicity, easy start, but then they'll do that. And a developer may start or a team of developers that you know support a couple of applications. They'll go to a public cloud to do their development work and we'll see, wow, this was so fast. Um, and then it becomes more popular than the strategy of what should we be doing comes into play. And, and I do have, I'm involved in a lot of conversations now where they're trying to make those decisions to have multi-cloud and they want to go with, with multiple public um, as well as some on-prem. So I think that that I found that hasn't historically been the first step into the public cloud. It's more of a developer wants to go out there and start doing stuff. But once it becomes, it's become more now like standard you're finding a little bit more strategic, taking into consideration all the things Adam mentioned about where do, where do these apps need to run? Are there any legal issues about where things are run, data, compliance issues, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. And also to, to add to that point, I mean, one thing that, that I see quite common or, or becoming more and more, more common is, okay, I, I will consume workloads or, or run my workloads in this particular cloud provider, but what's my what's my exit strategy? What what happens if I need to get out of that cloud provider? Yeah, I may not have a reason at the moment, but who's to say what will happen in five, 10, 15 years time? Do I have a plan to get out of that cloud provider or am I consuming services or have my development and infrastructure team consume services that mean that I'm ultimately locked into that that location? And that as well comes back to that whole data locality piece, right? If I've put all of my data in, in one cloud provider, that's a that's a that's a, a point of lock-in. If I've consumed some particular PaaS service that's only native to that cloud provider, I'm locked in there. You know, if I'm consuming other services that are only available there, that that's a, an, an anchor point for, for all of these workloads. So I think a lot of customers, and, and perhaps I have a bias to this because there's a number of financial services customers that, that I work with, they're looking at how can I consume this infrastructure? How can I get the best out of this infrastructure, create those paths of, of least resistance to make sure that I have that agility and I'm able to get the, 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 the applications provisioned and, and running and performing best for, for my business, but also be able to, to get out of that cloud provider or move to another cloud provider if I need to for, you know, we've already touched on some some commercial reasons, but there may be regulatory uh, reasons. You know, there, there's, a, there's a number of reasons that, that mean, you know, customers are looking to see, right, where can I, where can I just consume all this workloads, but still still have that mobility going forward if, if I should need to. And, and I have the same thing. Vendor lock-in is a big concern because of the ease to move and, People don't want to necessarily, customers don't want to necessarily be tied just to one vendor. But I, I think that's, it's still an issue in a conversation about how do you get the value from a vendor without that lock-in. And I think there's also another element. I'm just kind of think, thinking of other things that, that are coming to mind as, as we discuss this. But yeah, you know, operationally, 
how do you you know, get it get into workflows to the cloud is is one thing, but how do you operationalize that going forward? If I've got you know if I'm say consuming let, let's say I'm consuming on-premise infrastructure and two public cloud providers, okay, how do I manage the, that as a, as a single unit of of compute network and storage with additional services on top of it? You know, am I operating different security models? Do I have you know a different compute infrastructure? Do do I need different teams skilled with different technologies to, to, to maintain and, and operate this and, and secure this overall cloud platform, if you will. There, there's, there's a number of things that kind of need to be thought about when, when you're looking to, to consume all of this, this different disparate infrastructure across different providers. Yeah, and and I'm wondering, you know, when you think about all these different considerations, what what's your sense of how important the infrastructure piece is compared to like the abstraction layer. So, you know, thinking about an IaaS or using VMs versus containers, and then, you know, all the layers on top of that, how (laughs) it seems like it's just going to add, you know, there's just so many more options, but is there a way you kind of, you know, break, break these considerations down? Yeah, I, I think from from my experience, and it, it always makes me laugh because we it feels like in, in IT we're always searching for that 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 single pane of glass. It's like the the, the carrot on the end of the stick. Right, we're always chasing that. If I could just abstract myself to this point, I would I'd be able to to manage everything without having to care about the the underlying infrastructure. But I think that there's elements where obviously there's there's certain workload types that are going to be highly tied to a specific infrastructure point okay and i think that's where you know if we take into consideration some of the you know the the the, the r's methodology in terms of you know do i sort of rehost or or replatform these workloads there there are things to to be considered there and, and and so forth and then you know as you're become more and more abstracted and obviously you're less tied to, to the underlying infrastructure then you you have that ability to say you know decommission that workload there but but spin it up very quickly somewhere else but then you know i don't think that really gets you away from some of the the underlying you know infrastructure that that is going to be required to to host that that workload there is going to be you know security you're going to have to to, to think about you're going to have to think about storage and you know we've, we've touched on you know data gravity a number of times there's there's a few things that i think these needs to be needs to be thought about but yeah as you get more abstracted away you, know, you have a few more choices there assuming that you're going to refactor and modernize all of your your application estate which is something from from my perspective i don't see customers looking wholesale to 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 refactor absolutely everything that they have you know i've quite often said that i I don't believe that you know containers and and kubernetes as, as as an infrastructure solution is going to fully replace every virtual machine that's out there in the same way that virtual machines have not replaced physical x86 hardware hosted workloads i work with a number of customers that that will never virtualize certain workloads and there are a lot of customers out there who you know are still running workloads on you know non x86 hardwares and there's still plenty of, of mainframes out there and so forth so i think there's an element of just having a pragmatic view across the entire infrastructure estate and looking at right how do i best manage this portfolio of, of workloads that i have that are, that are, are you know, and some some of those older you know 
older architected solutions is what's actually running the business today. It's not like we can we can you know refactor and change you know some of those older older workloads. There they're extremely important. But how do I host those going forward? And how do I take a more, as I've said, pragmatic, holistic overall look at everything? And manage it as, as simply as I can, utilizing you know, these, this disparate uh, infrastructure that's available to me. Uh, I, I was gonna, I mean, just on that, following up on that briefly, like because I know when the when the pandemic first hit and unemployment systems were backed up across the country, and they were all these old COBOL apps and and whatnot. Like, I mean, is, is there is there are there are there strategies for get, you know making a migration like that happen? or modernizing an application like that relatively quickly? Or are you, or is it, I mean, does that really have to be a slow, kind of long, meticulous, especially for a system like unemployment or something kind of critical system like that? I'm just curious what the process might look like for for trying to do something like that in a relatively short time frame. I guess from, from the customers that, that I've worked with, I haven't really been exposed to a huge amount of sort of, you know, COVID-related issues around that. But Felicia, do you have any any yeah. on that at all? From, from an application perspective, historically, the mainframe, COBOL, these old technologies were very hard. Some of the strategies that can be used, and, and again, it goes back to everything Adam's been saying, like it really talks about the relevance of the applications in portfolio. Sometimes they'll just outsource their their mainframes, right, to a company, and then they could get rid of that infrastructure. That tends to be a strategy if these applications need to keep running, but they're not they're critical to have, but not necessarily changing and need to be um, modified similar what was needed when COVID hit and like the unemployment systems. There's other approaches that over the past few years like have come into play. And I know we've done a lot of work with customers. How do you quickly iterate on these so that it may take time to shut them down, but you can get the value where you need it really fast. So decomposing them in an iterative manner where you have an anti-corruption layer between the legacy, you know, mainframe or um, AS400 apps to what's really needed, you know, in the unemployment systems, a lot of it was just, how do we get enough users online? So it wasn't that everything was the whole unemployment systems were shut down and needed to be totally re-architected day one, components of it did. And those are things where you could say, hey, I'm going to leave the things that are okay and working um, fine, but I'm going to modernize quickly and move to the cloud, the you know secure cloud platform, the parts that need to change. So, and we see that even you know we're past the urgency for that, but we're seeing that with all of our customers who have these old mainframe apps that it's really hard to find people who know the technologies anymore, and they need, but they want to take advantage of the cloud. So. I think we're going to see more and more over the next few years because companies that have these just just need a quicker path than to say, I need two years or three years to rewrite this in its entirety. Yeah, that's actually one thing I, I have seen a little bit of is customers looking at, right, we've got, we've got these 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 mainframes right that that they're not going anywhere anytime soon but how, how do we incorporate that that uh component into into our cloud strategy do we look to you know host that mainframe you, you know in in low you know single millisecond latency distance to what's happening in our in, in our public cloud infrastructure it really comes back to that that 
option around you know creating that hybrid application architecture some parts of my application may be you know modern application components you know, you know maybe part of it is 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 hosted in, in containers and so forth but can i can i bring that that modern part of my application into conjunction with my you know, you know traditionally virtualization hosted parts of the application and is there an offload to to any mainframes or or dedicated physical systems of record solutions as well. So again, I think it is, you know, looking at everything as, as Felicia said, and you know, I said, said before, and having a more pragmatic view rather than I'm gonna you know, do a massive big bang across my entire enterprise estate to, to get to a, a modern application endpoint, which, you know, may take a long time and could potentially offer, you know, a lower business value to do the whole thing versus you know parts parts of the application and really modernize where it matters i guess is is ultimately the the way i look at it yeah i'm wondering adam are there do you do you see kind of any common trends around organizations kind of overstating or maybe ignoring different benefits or even drawbacks to particular landing zones in a way that kind of gets them into trouble with how they're matching workloads to the landing zone? Yeah, I, I think it comes back to that thing around, yeah, so a lot, a lot of customers, customers I work with, they sometimes underestimate that level of, of repair factoring or replatforming work that has to happen across the, the, the their entire estate yeah there, there's one customer I, I, I worked with in, in particular who said you know well I've you know I'm gonna gonna move all my applications I've got you know quite a few of them I can't remember exactly how many there were and he said you know I've had you know one of my my top people you know, migrate a, a single application and, and and replatform I think it was being being replatformed to use some SQL pan solutions and some and some web front ends and it wasn't that difficult to, to move that that one application into that into that cloud native landing zone and it was a question of you know just just Using again, I, I use analogies quite quite often <laughs> to, to to explain certain things. But you know, if we think about that in terms of you know migrating uh, a single family from say I don't know that's you know London to uh, Cape Town, it's the first first city that comes comes to mind. Yeah, that's that's a fairly fairly you know straightforward process. You know, there's there's but there's you know things to take into consideration and so forth. You know, there there may be things that you know you have to work out once you you, know, you land in that that landing zone, if you, if you will. But it's it's relatively straightforward. But if you take an entire town. And, and and want to, to to move the entire population of you know ten thousand or so to to you know Cape Town, then there's a lot of things to take into account. The you know, the the you know, the burden of administration goes up quite quite considerably. So I think that's that's really that comes back down to that sort of pragmatic view and really thinking about right what is what is the level of work of of moving these workloads to this specific landing zone and are there better ways for me to to, to handle this and to handle this 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 migration task i guess would be the the main thing because i tend to see that a lot of customers start with sort of high hopes of of, of transforming absolutely everything and then it, they go through a process of trying that, realize it's quite difficult. They speak to, to application owners. They, they realize that 
if the application owners aren't fully up to speed with modernizing that application, they go through a lot of hand-holding processes around that. And if they've got deadlines on, on migrating these workloads to a specific cloud provider, then these transformation pieces can sometimes hinder that, that, that timeline, if you will, and potentially put that timeline at jeopardy. So if we can look at, say, you know, as we mentioned earlier, modernize where it matters, modernize where the business um, benefit is, move the workloads as is to solutions such as you know, VMware Cloud on AWS or Azure VMware solution, Google Cloud VMware Engine, and incorporate that into the, to the landing zone strategy, then we can get customers to the, the, the end result that, that they want um, to, to get to. And then we can think about, right, is there additional modernization that can happen once we've got over that, that first phase of the project? All right, and I, I know we need to probably start wrapping up <clears throat> this for, for timing reasons, but I'm, I, I do want to ask, and this reference, this kind of touches on what you just talked about as well as that earlier discussion about lock-in. And I'm curious, like, what is, like, how, like, how do you see the role or what are the most, the most important factors oftentimes in, in determining, you know, or determining portability, I guess, or mitigating lock-in to the degree it's possible? Like, is it that abstraction layer, like, you know, VM? or VMware Cloud and AWS? Is it Kubernetes or some sort of orchestration layer? Is it using open source? Because theoretically, right, you can at least be sure that your your components are going to run anywhere. Like what is, I'm just curious what the, the like how you're seeing or how you're advising clients to to take advantage of whatever portability, you know, the options there, there really are. Yeah, I think it's, I think it comes down to, to, to a number of different cases. Like I, 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 I sometimes, snigger a little bit when, when I when I hear the the term lock-in or we want to avoid lock-in and, and I think it's almost unavoidable to a case you, you you're you're going to make a decision to utilize a specific technology whether it's proprietary technology or it's a public cloud provider or it's open source technology you're locked into something you're either locked into that proprietary technology or you're locked into that cloud provider or in the case of many <clears throat> open source solutions you know you could be potentially locked into a community or you're locked into you know specific contractors that you may have on premise that that know that technology so lock in in my opinion is is almost un- unavoidable but i think where where customers can can really think about this is right where, what is the breadth of where i can run that technology okay you know from a from a virtualization standpoint and those traditional workloads, I think VMware is in a you know a very good place to be able to offer customers. You know, you want to run your workloads on premise? Sure, no problem. You want to run your workloads in a in a VMware cloud provider partner? Sure, no problem. You want to run in any of the hyperscaler clouds? Again, it's it's not a problem. If you've got modern applications running in containers and, and orchestrated by by Kubernetes, obviously that can that can run everywhere. So it's really, I think, a customer needs to to, to really think about their overall IT strategy. Are any of the the technologies that they're looking to consume going to lock them into you know a specific dead end or a specific cul-de-sac of I'm not sure if that's an American term or not, but a specific you know you know area where they're they're going to have to do some engineering work to back out of that that choice and so forth. So I think it's a question of just having a look. What what are your um, goals as a as, as an organization? What does the you know, eventual IT strategy look like? You know, a, a few years out, it's obviously very difficult to think of you know, anything beyond that and so forth. And just thinking, what architecture gives you the most choices going forward? 
Well, I think that's a really great place to wrap up with those kind of final thoughts on on what to think about when you're getting started. This has been a really great conversation, Adam and Felicia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. No problem. 